does God have any parts to him? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, October 22nd of 2008, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and welcome to our third lesson in our Knowing God series. And the purpose of this series, the purpose of this study, is to get to know God, basically. What we're doing is we're studying his attributes. And uh, this is our third lesson, like I said, but this is the second attribute of his that we are studying. And if this is uh, your first time joining us, if you missed our previous lesson, I would definitely encourage you to listen to it after you listen to this lesson, because you'll get a better understanding of some of the terminology that we use in this podcast. But welcome, you guys. I'm so glad to have you here with us. I count it as a blessing. I want to let you guys know real quick, um, you know, a lot of you were uh, were in my network on MySpace, and on uh, on Thursday last week, for some reason, I signed on in the morning, and it told me that my account had been canceled. Uh, or or deleted for some reason. So um, anyway, I am currently not on MySpace, but what I did is I wrote them an email, and I'm trying to figure out exactly why the account got canceled or closed or whatever, and uh, if I don't hear back from them in a couple days, I will just start over and make a new MySpace account, uh, in which case you can find me by doing a search for cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. That's my email address. You can write me there as well, or you can uh, you'll be able to find me on MySpace. I'm also on Facebook, cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. So if you guys are interested in adding me to your network, by all means, that's how you would do it. But anyway, hope you guys are having a fantastic week. I am recording this uh, way in advance, as you guys know, because I'm in the middle of getting ready to move to Arkansas. Man, this is exciting. But uh, anyway, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, Let's go ahead and get started today with a quick word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for revealing yourself to us in order that we can know more about you. Lord, I am convinced that to know you is to love you. And the more we know you, the more we will love you. So I just pray that through this lesson today, we'll come to a better understanding of who you are in order that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, we talked about pure actuality, and uh, basically, we, we talked about how that meant that God exists independently and prior to all things. Now, the second attribute of God that we're going to cover in this study is what we would refer to as simplicity. That is, we believe that God is simple. Now, I am quite sure that when many, if not most of you, think of God, the last thing you would say about him is that he is simple. But this is simply a misunderstanding of the definition for simple. And I'm sure that a lot of you guys, when you saw that this was God's second attribute that we were going to be covering, you thought, what in the world is he talking about? But, you know, in our common everyday language, when we refer to something as being simple, we mean that it isn't complicated. It's, you know, it's easy to do, or maybe it's easy to understand. We're certainly not saying that about God, just to set the record straight here. In terms of uh, our ability to understand 
God can certainly be very complex and very complicated. But when we say that God is simple, what we're saying is, uh, well, first of all, we're speaking metaphysically. We're referring to his nature. Uh, This is a philosophical term, which basically means that God is indivisible. He can't be divided. He can't be broken down into parts or pieces. God has no parts or pieces. So this is one way of saying that there is pure, utter unity in God. Now, if God had parts, it would be possible, logically speaking, for uh, for God to come apart, or for him to be added to, or taken away from. So, this is not to say that there is not a plurality of persons in God's nature. We're just referring to God's essence, and that is that he is pure unity. Now, in our finite humanness, it can be very difficult for us to grasp this concept if we try to liken it to some type of thing, because all things are material and can thus be broken down into smaller things or parts. Now, even if you get down to the smallest things on Earth, electrons or, or what have you, every time we find something smaller than what was previously the smallest known thing, we discover that they are composed of parts. So everything that we see is complex in the sense that they have parts. They're composed of things or parts, uh, which are composed of things and parts, which are composed of things and parts, and so on and so forth. But while we cannot liken God's simplicity to material things, I think we can indeed conceive of something which cannot be broken down into parts. In other words, um, you know, there's nothing illogical uh, or inherently illogical about the concept of uh, of a god or of something which cannot be broken down any further than it already is. The only way we couldn't conceive of God's simplicity is if it were logically impossible. For example, you know, if you try to imagine what a, what a, a square that is circular looks like, uh, it's logically impossible, so you, you obviously can't conceive of it. But God's simplicity is something that we definitely can conceive of. It's not logically contradictory. So what does the Bible say about God being simple in his essence? Let's start by looking at what it says about God's unity. First of all, we have one of the most uh, well-known, most uh, recognizable verses in all of scripture, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that's from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And the key word here, obviously, is one. But there's something that gets communicated in the Hebrew, which doesn't really translate over to the English at all. And that is that the word that's used for one here is echad, which indicates plurality and unity at the same time. For example, if you were referring to one cluster of grapes, there are many grapes, but there's only one cluster. Uh, in Genesis 11:6, we find uh, the same word used when God says, behold, the people are one. There's a plurality of people, but they are one. So Deuteronomy 6, 4 definitely has some strong implications about the oneness of God's essence, while also communicating the possibility of a plurality of persons. Uh, Isaiah 45:18 also affirms the unity of God. Here God says, I am the Lord, there is no other. Romans chapter 3 verse 30 tells us, there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 4 tells us, there is no God but one. In, uh, in James chapter 2 verse 19 we read, you believe that there is one God, good. 
So he congratulates them for believing that there is one God because it's true. So clearly then, both the Old and the New Testament alike affirm that there is only one God and that he is one in his essence, his nature, and his substance. Since God is one, however, he cannot be divided up into a plurality of gods. Now, we also have to note that the Bible teaches that God is spirit as opposed to being material. Uh, We know that a spirit doesn't have parts. In Luke chapter 24, verse 39, Jesus, having just risen from the grave in his glorified body, proclaims, look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And then John chapter 4, verse 24 affirms that, quote, God is spirit, end quote. The fact that God is not material is also conveyed in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, where we read, He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is invisible because he's not material. All material is composed of something. They are, uh, you know, it's, it's reducible, but God is not reducible. Now, because God is irreducible, he is indivisible. He can't be divided. Taking the unity of God's essence and nature, in addition to the fact that he is spirit, therefore, leads us to the conclusion that God must be simple. Now, further, we should also note that the simplicity of God flows naturally and logically from God's pure actuality, which, uh, which we discussed in our previous lesson. When we covered God's pure actuality, we discussed what we mean when we say that there is no potential in God to either A, to be something which he already is not, or B, to not exist. So anything which has pure actuality and thus no potentiality is simple. Why? Well, the answer is simple. Uh, If God could not be something which he already is not, then there is no potential for God to be divided into parts. In fact, it is impossible for pure actuality to be anything other than simple and indivisible because by definition, there's no potential for it to be something different than it already is. If it could be divided it has potential to be something that it is not already. But no potential exists in God's essence. So God's essence must be simple and indivisible. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, who was truly the greatest theologian and apologist in history, besides the Apostle Paul, uh, gave us five ways that we can know that God is simple in his essence and nature. And by the way, uh, just a side note here, I would definitely recommend for those of you who really want to get into the philosophy of apologetics, read Thomas Aquinas. But anyway, back to these five points that Thomas Aquinas gave us. First of all, he referred back to God's pure actuality and noted that because God can't change and become different from what he is now, then he can't be composed of things. Therefore, God is simple. Secondly, everything that is composed of other things comes after those other things already exist. But God is the first being who created all things and therefore No parts could have possibly composed him because they couldn't have come before him. Therefore, God is simple. Third, all things that are composed of parts have a cause outside of themselves. But God is the uncaused cause of all things. He's the first cause of all things, and nothing is prior to him. Therefore, 
God is simple. Fourth, everything that is composed of parts must have both potentiality and actuality in them. Therefore, since God is pure actuality and thus has no potentiality, God is simple. Fifth, and finally, nothing which is composed of parts can be equal in its whole with any one of its parts. Since God is the ultimate being, it's impossible for him to be composed because he would no longer be ultimate if a part of him were removed. Therefore, God is simple. Now, I've tried to paraphrase all these things because Thomas Aquinas' language is obviously a lot more complicated, but hopefully you guys get the point here. God is simple. He can't be broken down into parts. He's indivisible. Now, it comes as no surprise that there have been several objections throughout history to the simplicity of God. And obviously, we won't be able to cover all of them, but let's try to cover some of the primary objections, which, you know, we might be most likely to either consider or to be confronted with. The first objection is one that you've probably seen coming from a mile away. If the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, how can we say that God is? is one. Muslims, uh, for example, consider Christians to be tritheists. That is, they think that we believe in three gods who are separate from each other. And in response, you know, we believe in one God who exists as one essence, one nature, one substance, and three persons. To assert that we believe in three gods, therefore, is to confuse personhood and essence. One uh, one might say that God is one essentially, that is in his essence, but he is three relationally. We affirm that the Trinity exists in an eternal relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but that doesn't negate the simplicity of God's essence. Uh, the second objection that we might run into is uh, some theologians have argued that the intelligibility of God's simplicity has been challenged or diminished. In other words, they're saying that they can't make any sense of how God could possibly be simple. However, it's uh, it's kind of funny that anyone would question its intelligibility and deny God's simplicity based on that, because the fact that they're denying his simplicity based on uh, its lack of intelligibility indicates that they do understand it. Otherwise, all they'd be doing is denying something that they simply don't understand. It's impossible to assert that something is wrong or false unless you know what is right or true. Uh, Further, there are several doctrines which are difficult to grasp, but the fact that they're difficult to grasp doesn't make those doctrines false, necessarily. For example, as finite beings, it's impossible for us to grasp the concept of infinity or something infinite. But that doesn't mean that God is less than infinite, and it doesn't mean that something cannot be infinite just because we can't understand it. Uh, Rather than saying that the concept of God's simplicity is lacking intelligibility, the most someone can really say is that it's unintelligible to the person making the claim. They can't speak on behalf of the people who do grasp uh, the intelligibility of the concept of God's simplicity. Uh, The fact is, whether we understand something or not has no bearing on whether it is true or not. Now, those are just a couple objections that you might run into, and I wanted to to address those uh, before you know before you thought of them yourself or before uh, somebody confronted you with it. But in closing, you know there are plenty of groups out there which deny God's simplicity, and that's not a surprise. Uh, you know the same groups which deny God's pure actuality, you'll see also deny God's simplicity. And like I told you in our previous lesson, you know when you're talking about God's attributes, once you deny one of them. 
you will implicitly deny the others logically. Now, anyway, let's go ahead and talk about some of those groups before we finish this up. First of all, uh, the Mormon Church. We discussed them last week. We're going to discuss them this week, too. The Mormon Church denies the simplicity of God. Rather than teaching the, uh, the simplicity of God, Mormonism teaches that God was once a man, just like you or me, and that because he lived a good life, he became an exalted man, which is what he is today. That's what the Mormon God is today. Uh, Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, taught his followers and wrote about how he met God face to face, and that God is a physical man with a physical body. A body has parts, so therefore, the false God of Mormonism is not simple in his essence. It's a false God. That is not the Christian God. Um, you know, also the, the theology and philosophy of the New Age movement also denies the simplicity of God. As we discussed last week, the New Age typically adheres to either a pantheistic or a panentheistic view of God. They typically teach that God is all things, or that all things are parts of God, or that God is in all things, etc., etc., something along those lines. And in many pantheistic religions, um, you know, if you, if you take a closer look at them, you'll see that they don't even kill the smallest animal, because doing so would be causing harm to or killing part of God. And that's why they abstain from killing animals. Uh, The gospel according to Oprah. Yeah, that's a great gospel. But anyway, Oprah teaches, my mind is part of God's. She also teaches, I believe that God is in all things. That's a quote directly from her. Both of those, my mind is part of God's and I believe that God is in all things. She said those things verbatim. And this is consistent with New Age philosophy. So it comes as no surprise then that the New Age movement denies the simplicity of God's essence. And sadly, another group which uh, sometimes denies God's simplicity can be found sitting in our pews and standing behind our pulpits on Sunday mornings. And when one of these theologians, uh, and I'm not going to name him because I don't have the exact quote, uh, but when one of these theologians was once asked how God could possibly know all things, he responded by saying that God isn't always aware of what he knows, but that the mind of God is like a filing cabinet, which God accesses when he wants or, or needs to know something. In other words, part of God has this infinite knowledge of all things, and part of him does not. And this is actually a growing trend called process theology, which teaches that God is static and always changing. You know, if God is always changing, however, then God can be divided because part of him changes and part of him remains the same. Do you see how all of a sudden we have a God who is divisible and who is not simple just by uh, just by making a claim like that, just by saying that God has parts? But, you know, we reject all of these groups because God must logically be simple. If God is infinite, and we believe that he is, uh, but if he's infinite and has parts, then he would have an infinite number of parts. Uh, in this case, it would be possible for God to become less than or greater than he already is. We believe, however, that God is infinite because nothing can be added to or taken away from him. It's logically impossible for God to be both infinite and to have parts because you cannot add or take away from what is infinite. The Bible clearly teaches that God is infinite and that he is spirit, and therefore we have to reject the notion that God is composed of parts. So we therefore affirm that God is simple in his essence. 
I hope this makes a lot of sense to you guys. Uh, it's it's really a pretty simple concept. Uh, <laughs> really, it is. But uh, anyway, if you guys have any questions, you can go ahead and email me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. I do need some questions from you guys uh, for upcoming Q&A lessons. So if you have any questions about God, uh, your faith, Christian living, Christianity in general, you know, whatever, um, you know, shoot them on over to me. And uh, there's a chance that I will answer that in an upcoming podcast but anyway also i want to let you guys know that we do still have some of those clear window uh stickers if that's something that you guys want uh just email me and i'll be happy to ship them to you guys but anyway god bless you guys thank you so much for listening today i'll see you next time on biblestudypodcast.org keep growing closer to jesus This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Thank you.